If you want to open your Bible to Galatians 3, I think, Tilly, what did you read when you were up here? Colossians. Oh, I thought she said, I was like, Tilly said Galatians 3. She's right where we're going today, but it was Colossians. <laughs> um, Galatians chapter 3. We're going to go there in a moment, and we'll read that. And I actually have quite a few scripture references today because I, I want to teach something, um, and I want to I dive into this. And so would you please um, like take your attention and make it captive to the Word of God today? Will you please say, if your mind begins to drift today, say, I command my mind to listen to the word today because I feel it will bring breakthrough. So, Father, we just ask that there will be a spirit of wisdom and revelation. I pray that you give us an attention span to hear your word today, that it produces fruit inside of us. God, I ask right now that your Holy Spirit would come and anoint me to say what I need to say and anoint our hearts and our ears, the ears of our heart, to be opened up today, God. And we just thank you for this in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. So really what I want to talk about today is from filthy rags to robes of righteousness. From filthy rags to robes of righteousness. And um, there's, there's some foundational truths that I need to, to make sure that we all agree upon before we go any further in this. Because if we don't build upon these foundational truths, then the, then the message today will fall on bad ground. So the first truth, and I want to know if you believe this or not. God is always drawing us into deeper connection with himself by Holy Spirit. Do you you all believe that's true? That God is always drawing us to himself. Always drawing us to himself. And how does he do that? By the Holy Spirit. The Spirit draws us and woos us to the Father. So that's foundational truth number one. I'm glad we all agree. Number two, God is always forming Christ in us. Do you believe that? That Christ is literally being formed in us to where we look like Jesus. We think like Jesus. We all agree to that? All right. Number three. God is always moving in us or transforming us into his likeness. Do you believe that? That that God is always transforming us. We are being transformed, right? So if those three things are are true, which I believe they are true and and you do as well, therefore it is our responsibility and it's our pleasure to find whatever God is doing and partner with him in surrender. So if it's true that God is always drawing us to himself, and if it's true that God is always forming Christ in us, and if it's true that he's always transforming us from glory to glory into his likeness, then my only position as a believer and a follower of Christ can be a place of surrender that says, God, whatever you're doing in me, I partner with that. Do you believe that to be true as well? It becomes, and I don't don't mean responsibility like law. I mean, it's a privilege. You know, there are responsibilities that I have as a husband that aren't law. It's my responsibility, but it's a privilege to, to be the husband, the father in the home. And it's that same way. When, I'm with, when I am in love with God and I'm in love with what he's doing and I'm partner with that, then I'm going to respond and do what he's doing. Amen? <clears throat> See, this is a partnership. We have to be doing what God is doing or we're fighting against him. What was Israel's greatest sin? Stubbornness and rebellion. They would fight against God. And it wasn't that they would just say, oh, God is not real. God is not God. They would fight against what he was doing in a particular season of life. They would, they would, they would, this thing would rise up inside of them that says, oh, well, we know better or we want something else. So they would fight against this season that God was in. And God called that stubbornness and he called it rebellion. And I can say that many times in my life, the biggest turmoil that I've experienced has been seasons where God was doing something and I didn't find out what it was, so I didn't partner with it. So my, my self-righteous self fought against what God was doing. <laughs> there's some examples that I want to show where this happened with Jesus' disciples and with people in, in the Bible. So Jesus, people are not receiving Jesus, and I've shared this recently in different ways, but Jesus' disciples were mad that they, were, that they weren't honoring Jesus the way they thought they should. And what did they say? We want to call fire down from heaven. And what was Jesus doing? He was presenting a completely different covenant right now. He wasn't calling fire down from heaven and burning people up right this moment. 
but they were stuck in an old season and they weren't partnering with what he was doing right then. So their heart was to bring judgment upon these people and his heart was to bring mercy because the new covenant says mercy triumphs over judgment. They didn't understand that. So when someone curses and blasphemes the Messiah, they deserve judgment. So they, they were right in what they thought. Is that a tr- could they have been biblically correct, according to what they had known to that point, that when you blaspheme God, you should die? So they were right, but their spirit was completely wrong. So much so that Jesus looked at them and rebuked them and said, you do not know what spirit you're of right now. Why? Because he was doing something here, and their heart hadn't partnered with what he was doing yet. So even though it was a just thing that they called it for, according to the law of Moses, according to, to what they had learned, it was a right thing. It was completely wrong because Jesus was doing something else. Another example. A woman is caught in the act of adultery. She's brought to Jesus. They throw her down on the ground. They say, Jesus, your law says to stone her. We caught her. What do you think we should do? See, they were right. Again, the Bible did teach that you would stone the adulterer. You would stone those who were in fornication. That was the law. That was what they had had grown. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. They learned all these things. So they were right. But they were completely wrong because Jesus was doing something different. And what did he say to them? Well, if you don't have any sin, then you go ahead. You pick up the first stone. And the Bible says that from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their stones and they walked away. Why? Because Jesus was doing something different, and their heart had to come into agreement with what he was doing. Third example of this was Jesus is being arrested, and there's a man named Malchus who reaches out to arrest Jesus, and what does Peter do? He takes the sword out and cuts his ear off. You're not going to arrest my Lord and Savior. Can you just picture the scene? If he wasn't a fisherman, if he was a swordsman, he wouldn't have missed. He would have cut his head off. But because he was a fisherman, he missed and got the ear. That's, That's my way of telling the story. He's not good. He's not good with the sword. (laughs) he cuts his ear off and what does jesus do jesus picks the ear up for malchus and completely heals it and and tells him literally i'm a man i'm of peace i'm not of sword right now come on this is the wrong spirit and i just wanted to draw this thing that we do this so often with god god says i'm moving in your life here i'm drawing you closer to me here i'm changing and transforming you here and we go well god we got to add this to it We've got to bring your law into it here. And, and, and God says, wait a second, I'm not doing that right now. I'm doing this. Stick with my agenda. You guys still okay? <clears throat> in John 5, verse 19, um, I'll just read it. The other scriptures we'll go to. But in John 5, verse 19, and my Bible just closed on me. I love technology. Come on, come on, come on. Come on, a spinning wheel. Open up. John 5, verse 19. Therefore, Jesus answered and said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself. He's speaking of him. He's saying, I, Jesus, the son of the father of God, I can't do anything on my own unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does just like him. What is Jesus teaching us here? There's a principle that comes with covenant with God that says, whatever God is doing, I'm going to do that. Whatever I see the Father doing, I'm going to do. Whatever I hear the Father saying is what I'm going to say. If I step into a place and I feel judgment in my heart and I look to Jesus and to the Father and I see mercy on them, I better shut my mouth and speak mercy instead of judgment because that's what the Father's doing. And and. The opposite as well. If the father wants to bring correction and he wants to use me in that and I try to bring mercy, then I'm also fighting against God's purpose for that. Am I making any sense? I'm just setting a foundation for where we're going, okay? In John uh, 4, verse 31 through 34, uh, I just want to read some of that real quick. John 4, verse 31 through 34. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, saying, Rabbi, take something to eat. But Jesus turned and said to them, I have food to eat that you don't even know about. Hey, here's the disciples. So they were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? They're like, oh man, we dropped the ball. We didn't serve him. We're supposed to be serving him and taking care of him. And no one even got him something to eat. And Jesus said to them, my food 
is to do the will of the one who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus, again, teaching us a principle that says, I do what the Father does, I say what the Father says, and whatever he's working and transforming, I partner with him in that. I don't do anything else. I don't do anything extra. I don't do anything less. If he's doing it, I'm doing it. If he's saying it, I'm saying it. If he wants me to help accomplish this, I say yes, sir, and I surrender and partner with him. Everyone still good? I'm telling you, this is, this is one, of, one of the best um, teachings. I'll just tell you that right now if I say so myself. In uh, the Passion Translation in John 4, verse 34, when it says that um, uh, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me, this is what the Passion Translation says. Every time I do the will of the Father who sent me, I enjoy a feast. Every time I look into heaven and I do what I see the Father doing, and I say what I hear the Father saying, and I accomplish and work with Him and whatever He's working on. Every time I do that, He prepares a table for me, a feast for me, in the presence of my enemies. Where have you heard that before? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. He prepares for me a table in the presence of my enemy. My cup runneth over. Why? Because I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father saying. Everybody good? <clears throat> I want to highlight some other scripture, and, and I may, I may, I'm going to take my time and read through all of it. I don't want to just rush through this, all right? But in Mark chapter 8, verse 27, let's go to Mark 8, verse 27 through 38. We will get to Galatians 3, but Mark 8, verse 27. And we'll read all the way through, through 38. And Jesus went out along with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he questioned his disciples, saying to them, just get the picture. Jesus always loved. He asked the best questions, right? And he says, who do people say that I am? He's like, what's the rumors? What's Twitter saying? Who's, what's Twitter saying? What are they saying about me right now? Who do people say that I am? What's the reports? And so they answered him and said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist, and some say you're Elijah, and others say that you're one of the prophets who have returned from the dead. And he continued by questioning them. He says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, you are the Christ. And in Matthew's gospel, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Right? <clears throat> And he warned them, Jesus warned them, to tell no one about this yet. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. Now remember in Matthew's gospel, when Peter says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is Matthew 16, verse 16 through 18. I believe those are the, it's Matthew 16 for sure. He says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to you, Blessed are you, Peter, because this has not been revealed to you by flesh, but by the Spirit. And upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so here he is. And so Jesus warns him, don't tell anyone about this. And then he begins to tell them how the Son of Man, Jesus, was going to suffer many things. And he was going to be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. And he was going to be killed. But after three days, he would rise again. And he was stating these things plainly to them. He was being very straightforward and telling them what was going to happen. And Peter takes him to the side, which was really smart of Peter. He did not rebuke Jesus in front of everyone. <laughs> he pulls him to the side and says, hey, can we have a sidebar over here? He pulls him to the side and he rebukes Jesus. He turned around, uh, but turning around and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter. And he said, let me remember this, get behind me, Satan. For you are an offense to me, is what one translation says. This one says, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but on man's interests. I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father saying. This is where Peter was stumbling in that. He was doing something that God wasn't doing. He was fighting against what Jesus said the Father wants to happen. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be turned over. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to rise from the dead. And Peter's like, no, I'm never going to let that happen. And Jesus says, you're fighting against what God is doing. 
And he got onto him for it, right? Next thing I want to read is in Acts chapter 1. We're just going to go on a journey today, okay? I promise the landing spot's going to be good. Acts 1, 1 through 8. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. And after he, by the Holy Spirit, had given order to the apostles whom he had chosen, to these he also presented himself alive after his suffering with many convincing proofs over a period of 40 days, speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for, the, for what the Father had promised, for the Holy Spirit, right? Which he said, you've heard of me, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they came together, they were asking him, listen to this, what was Jesus doing and saying? What the Father was saying, you're about to receive the Holy Spirit, the promise. Hello? See where he's going with this? Where do they take it? Lord, is it at this time that you are going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Jesus is probably like, where in what I just said (laughs) did you get that I'm going to come back and sit on the throne of David and be the king? Like, that's not this, that's not this topic. That's not what I'm talking about right now. You're, he's telling, you're about to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're about to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Your world is about to get turned upside down. All the things that I did was because of Holy Spirit and I'm about to give him to you. And they're like, uh, is that when you're going to come back and be the president? <laughs> Jesus is like, no. And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which my father has fixed by his own authority. And then he takes them back. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. What was going on here? The disciples had an agenda in their heart that Jesus didn't have. Can I just ask a question? Have anyone in this room ever had an agenda in our heart that, that the Father didn't have? What usually happens when our agenda doesn't match with his agenda? Failure every time. I don't care how great the agenda is. We could have done all the research. Like, this is how I feel about the Sozo thing. I can put all the stats together. I can put all the research together. I can feel that this is God's timing for this. Yet we can go before the men that God has appointed to lead our fellowship, and they can say, not yet. And I can get angry, or I can say, okay, Lord, I'll look for another time when you're ready. Like, that's what I'm trying to learn. Like, sometimes God says no to a good thing. Because it's not his agenda right now. I got some more. We got to keep going, all right? We can keep digging. See, God sets the agenda. In 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 16, he tells us how how we can know his agenda. He says, who has known the mind of God? Who can understand his ways? And then he finishes towards the end. And he says, but we have the mind of Christ. Will you say that with me? I have the mind of Christ. This is 1 Corinthians 2. I have the mind of Christ. So we have no excuse as a person who is being pursued by God, who's being uh, formed into Christ's image, and who's being transformed into God's likeness. We have no excuse to partner with God and say, I don't know what God's doing right now. I don't know what God wants to do. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. There's no way I can understand God when he says, but we have the mind of Christ. He wants us to know what he's doing. Everyone say amen to that. And how do we have the mind of Christ? It tells us there by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to us and he converts our human intellect into godly wisdom. And he helps us to seek the deep things of God. Deep calls to deep. A wide, uh, uh, wells of wisdom are deep. Uh, uh, wisdom is like a deep well, and people of wisdom draw it out. How can I draw from the wisdom of God to know what I'm supposed to be doing in my life right now? I have the mind of Christ because Holy Spirit came, and He lives inside of my body, 
and he helps me to search the deep things of God. Remember the scripture that says, who, who knows the, the mind of God except for the spirit of uh, the mind of man except for the spirit of man? And he says, well, who can know the mind of God except the spirit of God? So that's why Holy Spirit came upon us and comes and lives inside of us so that we can know God's agenda for our life because he wants to reward us when we're partnering with him. He doesn't want to punish us because we're fighting against him. He wants to say, look, this is what I'm doing. Join me and you'll have rewards. You'll have benefits. You will prosper in everything you do. How? By just doing whatever God's doing right now. Stop adding so many things to your agenda that God didn't put on the agenda. I, want to get, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Slow down. Holy Spirit reveals the agenda. Holy Spirit is the counselor. He's the teacher. He's the one who convicts. He's the one who sanctifies us, not us. There is no four-step, five-step, million-step program to bring us into the mind of Christ or into righteousness or into being holy and pure like God. All right, let's move on. In John 3, and I won't read all this, but this is when Nicodemus, who was a teacher of the law, came to Jesus and he says to him, you all know the story? What's his question to Jesus? What do I have to do to be born again? And Jesus tells him the craziest thing he'd ever heard in his whole life. Jesus said, you must be born again. And that's all he says to him. And Nicodemus, who's very wise, looks at Jesus and says, am I a man with gray hair as a man? I'm supposed to go back into my mother and be born of my mother again? It made no sense to him, right? And Jesus said, no, you, you need to be born of water and of the Spirit. You need to be born of the Spirit because flesh gives birth to flesh and Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Would you say that with me? Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And so Nicodemus couldn't understand the things of the Spirit. Why? Because he was thinking from a law mentality. He was thinking from a natural perspective but jesus was saying no you're going to be born again uh, not just of water which also could be represented in baptism the salvation but the spirit is going to come in you with the baptism of fire you're going to be born again you're going to be a new creation hmm. so what is that's all just the setup so if god is always drawing us close if he is always forming Christ in us, and if he is always moving in us and changing us and transforming us into his likeness, therefore our response should always be, whatever you're doing, God, I say yes to it. Whatever you're doing, God, I partner with it. If that's all true, then what's the enemy to that? What's the enemy to partnering with God? And I would say today that it's called self-righteousness. Filthy rags. Self-righteousness. See, self-righteous, a self-righteous spirit will always strive and fight against the Holy Spirit. Let's see, there's a power. I have to time that better every week. I can just make sure I say something right. A self-righteous spirit always fights against the Holy Spirit. Always. They hate each other. They battle against each other. The things of God versus the things of the world. They are at enmity with one another. So a self-righteous spirit fights and strives against Holy Spirit because it has its own agenda that's different than God's agenda. Come on, I, I, this is, I promise you that if you want this to, it will bring freedom to you today. If you feel like you've been dealing with issues for a long time, stop it. Stop it. You're going to be free today because you are not striving through self-righteousness to make yourself pure and holy before God. You are already pure and holy before God because he sets the agenda. We don't get to set the agenda. A self-righteous spirit has a mind of its own. It's a striving mind. It's a working mind. It's at war with the mind of Christ. A self-righteous spirit will attempt to set the agenda concerning our righteousness and what the Lord is doing in our lives right now. A self-righteous spirit will take what God is doing through his spirit and place its hands upon it through a spirit of religion, which is human effort. So 
how do I know I come under the influence of a self-righteous spirit when I begin to think of how I can make myself better outside of the spirit moving upon my life? Or when someone comes to me and they want to share with me, hey, this is what God's been doing in my life lately. And we look at them like, you're a fool. Are you kidding me? And we try to change and say, well, have you thought about this? That's a self-righteous spirit. When someone comes and says, hey, the Lord's really been doing this in me, and they're all excited, and I say, well, what about this? And we add to it, we are under the influence of a self-righteous spirit because we're changing God's agenda. Do you know what happens when we do that to other people or when it's done to us? Our spirit gets crushed because we're being rewarded for our faith right now. God's doing this in my life. That's why when people get saved... And they give their heart to Jesus and they come into the church and they're still living together and they're still smoking out on the weekend and they're still drinking. We don't say a word to them about it. Why? Because when God brings the topic up, then we will partner and say, the Lord's doing that in your life? How can I help what God's doing in you? Instead of saying, well, you need to stop this and you need to fix that. What we're doing is we're coming under a religious spirit of self-righteousness and it kills the culture of the kingdom. It kills a grace message. And what it does is it brings it partners with condemnation so that the atmosphere, instead of rewards and, and grace and, and shifting into the kingdom and, and there's a momentum there, that opposite spirit of condemnation comes in and becomes a wet blanket so that nothing we ever do is enough, so that no thing God's doing in our life is ever enough for us. We're always dissatisfied. Well, yeah, God, you're doing that, but I really wish you would do this too. That's a self-righteous spirit. That's an orphan spirit. Let's go to Galatians 3, and let's read about it. You want to blow up a religious spirit? Go to Galatians 3 and just read it, period. Galatians 3, verse 1. Great intro. You foolish Galatians. Who has cast a spell on you? Who's bewitched you? Before your eyes, Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Let me ask this question, Bridge Church. Did you receive the grace of God and the Spirit of God because you worked the law so well that you finally unlocked it like a video game, a new level? Or did you receive it because you believed that Jesus was the Messiah and that he wanted you to have it? Hmm. And then he goes on. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit... You are now trying to be perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was vain? So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and work miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by faith? I'm going to say faith. Even Abraham believed God, and it was credited and counted to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure... That is, those who are of faith, who are the sons of Abraham. Everyone say, I'm a son or a daughter of Abraham. I'm a son of Abraham. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. <coughs> Listen to this. Preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Before the law. Hello. Did you know the law came after Abraham? The law came after this gospel was preached to Abraham that was counted to him as righteousness, when God says, hey, come out here, count the stars. If you can count them, that's how many kids you're going to have. That's your, that's your inheritance. That's going to be your descendants. And I promise you, you're going to have a child of promise. And through your seed, all the nations are going to be blessed. That was the promise, the covenant God made with Abraham way before the law of Moses ever came into place. So the gospel was preached to Abraham back in Genesis. Hello? Which came first? The gospel, the covenant with Abraham. So he said, <clears throat> the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed because of you. 
So then, those who are of the faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. For as many as are the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one, now no one is justified by the law before God. For the righteous will live by, say it, the righteous will live by faith. However, the law is not a faith. On the contrary, he who practices shall live by them. But Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Amen to that. How he became the curse for us. Yeah, that's it. That was a good time. He became the curse for us. Because the Bible says, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we could receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Everyone say amen to that. Why is that so important? Let's get into it. We didn't start in this relationship and partnership with God because we finally got good enough. We started because He called us and we said yes. We can't continue this walk with Him outside of just saying yes to Him. We don't get to change the agenda We don't get to say, well, God, I still have flaws over here and I still have flaws over there. He doesn't care about those unless he brings them up to us to deal with them right now. You understand me. It's his agenda. It's not our agenda. Let's continue with this. When God is ministering to an area of our lives, this self-righteous spirit will try to add other areas. It will bring in what's called condemnation. And this is what I think condemnation really does. Instead of celebrating what God is doing, and partnering and joining in with that, we come under the influence of guilt and shame over what hasn't happened yet. How many have ever felt condemnation before? Oh, yuck. I hate that. Just get it off. I hate it. Why? What does condemnation say? You're not good enough. You failed. So you're a failure. Condemnation comes in and says, oh, yeah, well, you're doing that for God, but look at all these other things that you're not doing. That's condemnation. Condemnation brings an orphan spirit. They come together and they always make us feel like we're not enough. But God is the ultimate builder and the architect and he knows how things should be built. And if he hasn't addressed something, if he's not having a conversation with us about something right now, then we should leave it off the table or we can come to him and say, God, I want to ask you about this thing. That's legal too. David did it. Father, if there's anything in me that's wicked, bring it up. I'm ready. And if the Lord was ready, he would bring it up. But we don't get to set the agenda. Is that making sense? All right, let's, go, let's close this out. In my notes, I put lightning next to it because this is the lightning point. <laughs> I was like, dude, I got to remember this. I got to make sure and hit this point. There needs to be lightning bolt beside it. So lights, just whenever you're ready, we're going to... Our obedient surrender to what God has established as his agenda is called faith. My obedient surrender to God's agenda is what faith is. Faith is not only doing what he tells me to do. Faith is not only, yes, sir, Lord, you're still God, so yes, sir. That's not all faith is. Faith is also me saying, Father, I not only say yes to those things, but I surrender to your agenda. Whatever you want to do, whatever your will. What did Jesus pray? Not my will be done, yours be done. Why? Jesus said, I don't have my own agenda. My only agenda is whatever I see the Father doing, I do. Whatever I hear the Father saying, I say. So for you and I to really step into this kingdom culture where we see the things Jesus did in greater things, this is the foundational point. I am in obedient surrender to God, and my obedient surrender to Him, to whatever His agenda is, is credited into my righteous account as faith. And I am now called righteous. Everyone say, I'm righteous. So my filthy rags that once were self-righteousness and works and not measuring up and condemnation are transformed into beautiful robes of righteousness that are pure and without spot and without wrinkle. Oh, come on. 
Our faith makes us righteous. How many believe that? Say, my faith makes me righteous. Let me add this to it. Even if I'm breaking some of the law. Hello. Hello. I hear Medea in my head. I'm sorry. Hello. <laughs> I, love Tal- I love him, man. All right. My faith makes me righteous even if I'm breaking some of the laws. Like, whoa, how can that even be true? Well, let's look at this. The righteous live by faith. They don't live by obeying the law. That doesn't mean we try to break the law. It means whatever we see the Father doing, we do. Whatever we hear him saying, we say. Whatever he's working on, we work with him. Abraham was the father of Ishmael. Yet God called him righteous. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Yet the Bible calls him righteous and the apple of God's eye. A man after God's own heart. We read in Acts this morning, Acts 13, that says that David was chosen by God because he knew that he would do everything that was God's will. An adulterer and a murderer and a conspirator. God says, you're the best. Rahab was a prostitute, living as a prostitute. Yet she hid the spies in her house and made sure they escaped. She was doing what the father wanted to be done. And her faith, she is listed in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And she's called a righteous person. Why? Because she saw the Father, and she did what the Father was doing, and it was faith, and it was counted righteousness for her. Oh, come on, man. Come on. Moses was a murderer. He killed an Egyptian. Before he went and hid, he killed an Egyptian. People saw him do it. And God says, you're the deliverer, and you're righteous. And God gave the actual law and spoke to Moses face to face. As a friend talks to a friend, Moses would go up into this cloud, into the presence of God, as someone who had a murder on his record. As someone who even disobeyed God when God spoke and said, speak to the rock, what did he do? Well, I struck it before, I'm going to strike it again instead of doing what God said. He disobeyed, yet God still calls Moses righteous. Are you understanding this? What have you and I done that discredits us from righteousness? What have you and I done that's so much worse than anyone else? I want to say to you, it doesn't matter. Your obedient surrender and my obedient surrender to whatever God's doing right now makes me righteous regardless of what I've done or or all the other issues that I'm carrying along with me. This is how we create a culture of honor. We celebrate people saying yes to the Father instead of tripping over what they haven't done yet. Well, they still cuss every now and then. Who cares? God will bring that up if he wants to. He may not care that they cuss. I don't know. (laughs) Just using a really simple example. He doesn't care. I don't care. Do you care? Does it really matter what words someone says? Come on. But we get hung up. We get hung up on things. Oh, they, they don't do this and I do this. This is not a competition. We are not in any kind of competition for God's love. There's not a a limited, here, let me say this. There is not a limited amount of God's love. What I mean by that is if Jacob gets 70% of God's love, it doesn't mean that there's only 30% left for all of us. It's unlimited. This is not communism or socialism that thinks there's only a limited amount of money for everybody. No, we can, there's more money. You can create more. We can print more if you you want to get down to it. What I'm saying is, There's enough for all of us. There's more than enough. There's not a limited supply of anything with God. If if he's doing something over there, it doesn't mean that he can't do it for me over here. This is between me and God, my faith, and and him, and doing what he's called me to do makes me righteous. Everyone still good? All right, I promise I'm closing out with this. This is the lightning. This is why Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. This right here. 
Because what he wants to do, whether he can change our mind or not, this is what he always tries to do. He wants to set or change God's agenda. Always. And the way he does that is he accuses us of not being holy enough. And when we believe the lie, it causes us to miss the mark, which is sin. We miss the mark when we believe his lies. The mark is God's will. It's his agenda. It's partnering with what God is doing. So Satan, the accuser of the brethren, what does he try to do? Oh, Mark's not good enough. Mark still failed here. And Jesus doesn't listen to him at all because he doesn't get to set the agenda. When the enemy brings these things against you in your own mind, you tell him, you don't set the agenda for my life. I am in submission to God. Now, it's really important that we are in submission to God. And it is important that we pray prayers and say, you know what, God? Nothing is off limits. I want you to know that. Like, if you're, if you're waiting on me to say nothing's off limits, I kind of think he does that sometimes. He's a, he's a gentleman, and he doesn't, like, force himself upon us. If you're waiting for me to say, okay, it's okay, God. You can bring these things up. And God's like, okay, we'll give you a sozo every day if you want one, right? But it's his agenda. I don't set the agenda. Satan, the accuser, doesn't set the agenda. When someone over here is telling me a testimony, or if I'm telling my testimony, we don't dump on them and say, well, what about this? And you need to do this too, and you need to do that too, and, and this is what I do, and this is what... No, stop it. Shut up and celebrate with them. The Bible says rejoice with those that rejoice. Mourn with those that mourn. It didn't say come in and dump all your ideas on them. <clears throat> Everyone's so good. Self-righteousness, filthy rags. How do we get robes of righteousness? Whatever I see the Father doing, I do. Whatever I hear the Father saying, I say. Whatever he's doing in my life right now, I'm working with him on that. And I just want to end, end with this, this thing. I want to be perfect before God. I don't know if anyone else feel that. I, I literally want to be perfect. I want to be pure. I want to be holy. I want to stand before him and say, you got it all right. But you know what I've discovered? We already are. <laughs> he already accepted us. He already says that you're pure, you're holy, you're righteous. You're the apple of my eye. Oh, but God, did you know about this conspiracy that I created? Yeah, we need to talk about that, but you're the apple of my eye. So he didn't let David get off on that, that whole thing. He got in trouble for it. The prophet Nathan came to him and says, hey, you're that man who did it. And what did David do? Oh, you're right, God. God set the agenda, and David heard. There have been so many times in life. Can I use us? That's why you married me, so I could use our marriage as an example. No. There have been many times where Mandy has been talking to me about issues that I have, my issues. And I'm like, baby, I know there's something wrong with me. I know it. I'm broken. There's some, I don't even know what it is. And she's like, well, I know what it is. It's this. <laughs> like, I don't think you know what you think you know. <laughs> and, and God gave us our wives because they see things that we don't see. And wives, God gave, us, gave you husbands because we see things you don't see in a different way. But I can't tell you how many times that Mandy has brought something up with me that I didn't have time to hear. I wasn't ready. Why? Because it wasn't on God's agenda yet. And then I'll go two, three, four weeks or however, a period of time, and my brother-in-law, Kyle Embry, will say something to me on the phone, and it'll be like, oh. And I'll go back to Mandy. I'll say, hey, this is, she's like, that's what I was trying to say to you three weeks ago. And what do I always say? I wasn't ready to hear it three weeks ago. Why? It wasn't God's agenda yet. Now, sometimes that's just me being a stubborn uh, donkey. <laughs> stubborn and just, oh, I don't want to submit to my wife. And that's part of it. But it's also, it's not God's agenda yet. It's not God's agenda yet. Give each other a break. Let's give people in, in the body of Christ a break. Can we just do that? 
I give all Christians, God, I give them a break right now. I just give them a break. I'm sorry. They're not as horrible as I think they are. We're not as horrible as I think we are. I'm sorry for griping about the church, for us not being holy enough, seeing enough miracles, all that. I'm sorry for speaking against your bride that you're passionate about. I'm sorry for being frustrated with fellow Christians that I know and love for not being further than I think they should be. I'm sorry for being arrogant, God, and thinking I know better when you look at them and you're filled with joy. I had to get over myself. And I'm sorry. <laughs> now I give myself a break. If you want to talk about it, Lord, I want to talk about it. But if you don't want to, then I'm just going to rest and be loved by you. Period. <sighs> that feels good. Hmm. There's something that's been stirring in me as I've been praying and worship, worshiping the Lord lately. This phrase, I feel so loved by you, God. I never really thought that, felt that before like I do now. And there's not a day that goes by that I don't tell God, God, I feel so loved by you. I feel so accepted by you, just as I am. Am I perfect? Nope. But that's not your topic of conversation. Hmm. You know what I'm learning? That feeling and that knowledge of that he loves me really takes care of a lot of things. It heals a lot of things. But would you stand, and this is how I'd like for us to close. <clears throat> I have a four-part altar ministry time, and then we'll pray for people at the end that want to be prayed for. But first thing we need to do is I want us to, number one, what is the lie? And this is the lie, that I can improve myself. Did you know that's a lie? Would you say this with me? God, it is a lie that I can improve myself. What is the truth of that? Say this with me. God, you are the author and the finisher of my faith. So let's review. What's the lie? I can fix myself. I can improve myself. That's a lie. What is the truth? God's the author and the finisher. <laughs> Doesn't that feel good? When you break lies, do you feel an authority that comes over you? Like, I don't know how to explain it, but whenever I, whoa, I believe a lie about something and I break that lie, I feel like powerful now. Like, I got some power back. What's the lie? That I can fix myself, that I can improve myself. What's the truth? God's the author and the finisher. Number three, third thing I want us to do. I want us to break agreement with a religious spirit, with a, a self-righteous spirit. Hmm. So would you pray along those lines? I'm going to pray from here. But I want us to break ties, cut ties. I just see scissors cutting ropes and ties right now. Father, we come to you and we humble ourselves. <laughs> we cannot improve ourselves but you're the author and the finisher. So because of that truth, I ask right now that you would come with Holy Spirit scissors and break and cut our ties with self-righteousness. I pray that you would help us to take off these filthy rags of self-righteousness. They're disgusting. They're filthy. They're useless. So right now, Father, I take off. Would you just brush them off your shoulder? I take off filthy rags of self-righteousness and I put on humility. <sighs> mm. I take off self-righteousness and I put on humility. And I put on faith. 
Did you do that? Did you put on your, your coat of humility and your coat of faith? The last thing I want us to do is I want us to pray a prayer of surrender to God where we surrender to what he's doing. I love that song that Bethel wrote years ago, where you go, I go, what you say, I say. Jesus only did what he saw you do. He would only say what he heard you speak. So can we pray a prayer that God would bring us into this type of partnership with him where I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear him saying. So Father, I thank you that you, you want to be my partner. <laughs> I thank you that you sent Jesus and he humbled himself so that we could be partners. And right now, God, I ask that you would stir up inside of me. I can't make it happen, but you can. Stir up inside of me right now passion to do what I see you doing. Passion to say what I hear you saying. God, help me to stop adding to it or taking away from it. God, I want to be in partnership. I want to be in rhythm with you, God, the unforced rhythms of grace. God, I ask that you would sync up my spirit with your spirit. <laughs> yeah. We tell condemnation to leave. In Jesus' name. Amen. Anyone feel better? I feel better. Filthy rags. I can't do this. Only God can do this. It's so freeing to know he's the one that does this. I feel like you should pray for someone close to you. Find someone to pray for them. Just bless them. Why don't you bless what God's doing in them right now? Whatever that is. Just say, God, whatever you're doing, I bless. Yeah, Father, I bless what you're doing. <laughs> Bless it, Lord. It's beautiful what you're doing in him. 